0: or maybe one of those people whose father wasn't such a great guy. Maybe he wasn't there at all. Maybe he abandoned the family at an early age. Maybe he was abusive in many ways. That relationship and what I want to talk about today makes a huge difference in how we understand our Heavenly Father and how we understand our Heavenly Father then makes a huge difference in how we come to pray to our Heavenly Father. Today, we're going to be looking at Matthew 7, 7-11. through 11. I'm going to be preaching on prayer, and I hope to get us to rethink our understanding of prayer and to reinvigorate your desire to be praying continuously. But for us to pray, as we're told to pray in this passage, we have to have a right relationship, a right understanding of relationship with our Heavenly Father who is gracious and generous and the giver of good things. So really, my primary goal for today, even more than prayer, is to help Shape your understanding of our Heavenly Father so you can pray with confidence. Let's look at our passage. I think we have it to display. Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then, if you then, who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Let's pray. Father, (laughs) Lord, we need you today. I need you to preach this well, to proclaim your word, Father, we need you, Lord, to understand it. Lord, we need you to change our hearts, to open our ears, to soften our hearts, Lord, that we might receive all that you have for us today. Lord, uh, Father, come and be with us today. May your presence be known here among us today. And may all who are in this house, be able to leave saying, God was in this place today. or transform our lives, transform our prayer lives, transform our understanding of you today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at uh, our passage today, it's important to understand how this fits into the book of Matthew. And so I want to give us just a little bit of setting for that. This passage is found towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and it's kind of a summary passage of chapter six and and part of the first part of chapter seven. Um, it begins that the parable begins in cha- the whole. i say the parable, but the whole Sermon on the Mount begins in chapter five with the Beatitudes, It runs through uh, the last part of it, being the house that was built on the rock. You know, the guy who builds on rock, the guy who builds on sand. You might have sung it in. in Vacation Bible school or Sunday school when you were a kid, if you went to that. The Passion speaks much of how we interact with one another. and st- But more strongly, it speaks about how we relate to God. To even be more specific, the central portion really speaks in chapter 6, in the first part of 7, about faith our faith, and how it relates to prayer. So there's a lot going on in this this section that gets summarized in those verses we just read. You see, faith and prayer are going to go hand in hand. And so Jesus, in the verses leading up to today's passage, speaks about trusting in God as opposed to trusting in wealth or possessions. He goes on after that to talk about Anxiousness and how we can be anxious over even the most basic things. Things like food and clothing and housing or how long we're going to live. And he pushes the the listener, those who were listening to him then and those with us who read it today, he pushes us to recognize that they have a loving father who already knows all of their needs. Before the Lord's Prayer that we just read, it says, but the Lord already knows what you need. And at the end of that whole section on anxiousness, he says it again. The Lord already knows what you need. But he asks us, he tells us to ask and to pray. So Jesus drives the listener to to see what's important. And in that last section, before we get to today's verses, he ends it by saying, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all those things you're anxious about will be added to you. Let's be honest. It is difficult to take my eyes off of pressing needs difficult when I've got to pay a, my rent check or I've got to pay a car payment or I've got just to figure out the, the daily basics of life to take my eyes off of that because we get sucked in so quickly to those things. It's much harder, to ha- it, it, well let me say it this way, it's much easier to have faith in what I see It's much harder to have faith in what I don't see. But really, having faith in what I see isn't faith, is it? The writer of Hebrews tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. But what's in our faith? Our faith and our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our faith and our hope is in Jesus for our salvation and our standing before God, our heavenly Father. And it is to this good and gracious heavenly Father that Jesus points us in Matthew 7, 7-11. Now, today as we go through this, I want to approach this passage, I actually want to flip it over. I want to approach it and do do verses 9 through 11 first, and then go back to verses 7 and 8. I'm doing that because if we do not believe that we have a Father in heaven who is good and the giver of good things, then we're not very likely to ask. If we don't trust that our Father is going to be the giver of good gifts, we will not ask in contrast if we do believe that we have a loving gracious kind generous father then we're very likely to go before him and make our needs known so Jesus in verses 9 through 11 tries to give the listener a picture a very concrete picture of the Heavenly Father by giving them two brief examples And then a conclusion. He says, which one of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? As I mentioned earlier, I understand it's Father's Day and that many of you approach Father's Day with very mixed emotions. Honestly, I join you in that. Um, My own experience with my dad was a little rocky at times. Because of that, I know it can be difficult to see your heavenly father as loving and kind and generous Of good gifts, but that doesn't change the fact that that is exactly who He is. Our Heavenly Father knows us completely. We are told in Psalm 139 that He is intimately acquainted with our ways, there are no secret places. You can go, there are new secret places in your mind or in your heart that the Spirit of God has not already searched out and knows completely. He formed your inward parts in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, and that is by God's hand. Every moment of your existence is written in God's book, and that was done before there was a single one of your days. There is nothing you have done or will do that your Heavenly Father is not already aware of. And hear me, because this is difficult. I realize this is very difficult for some of you. There is nothing that was done to you that he is not aware of. And was not there with you and sustaining you and keeping you. Yes, even there, God was with you. Your heavenly Father is the one who, Ephesians 1 tells us, chose you from before the foundations of the earth. In love, he predestined you for adoption. Before you had done one thing, right or wrong, before you had said your first prayer, before you took your first breath, Your heavenly father had already chosen you and placed his love upon you. In the eyes of your heavenly father, you were not a mistake. You were not an oops. You were not a coincidence or something to be stuck with, whatever you might have been told as a child. Instead, you were one who was chosen and called Beloved. That is who you are in the eyes of your Heavenly Father, Beloved. So much so that he sent his his son, Jesus. He sent Jesus to live a perfect life in your place. To pay for your sins because you could not. And to give you eternal life through Jesus Christ. He did that for you because he loved you and has loved you and will continue to love you. Ad infinitum into the future forever and ever and ever. Amen. That is your heavenly I would not be telling you everything if I did not say your heavenly father is also a heavenly father who disciplines. He does things to correct us, to set us back on the right path. But unlike an earthly father who may have done that in anger, in frustration, in a drunken rage, your heavenly father never responds that way. He always disciplines and for your good and for your blessing for your benefit your heavenly father loves you and he loves you completely and so we are to come to him and ask as ones who trust like a son in the example who comes and asks for bread The son does not come asking for bread, expecting for a stone. He does not come asking for a fish, or in our modern-day example, maybe a bowl of cereal, and expect you to give him a bowl of serpents. That's not what our child comes and and, and expects. That's not what you would expect as a child if you came to your parents. That's not what you would give your children. character of our heavenly father is not to give bad things to give evil when we come and make a request that is not at all who god is it cannot be who god is instead what we see of god the father is consistent and consistently is tenderness and compassion for his elect those he called his beloved Even for those of you who are sitting there today as parents, you're doing your best to be good parents, as God would have you be. But I bet you would say there are times, potentially quite regularly, when you fail. You don't handle things quite the way you would have preferred looking back. You might have dealt with something out of frustration. You might have dealt with your child out of anger. You might have spoke a little too sharply. Happens to me all the time. I do it all the time. Ask my kids. I also have regularly, like when I, let me give you a quick story. There I am. It's probably, uh, my kids are much younger, almost 15 years ago. Came in. Something had happened. Enzo was upset. You know, I really don't care, but if she's upset, you know, oh, no, no. Whatever you did, you're going down for it. I don't care who was wrong, I don't care if she's wrong, you're going down for it. And I lit into my kids. Because that's what I did. And I got done and I started walking down the hall. And God just spoke to me. Aren't you glad I don't treat you like that? I'm like, oh. (laughs) <laughs> Turn around, walk back in the room. Okay, you all were still wrong, but my attitude was incorrect. You know, I, I mean, I just had to go in and apologize. I had to get it right. My Heavenly Father doesn't deal with me like that. He doesn't lose his temper with me. He always deals with me out of love. He deals with you out of love. That is who God is. And that's Jesus' point. If you, at your core, are fallen and sinful, and you love your children, how much more does God, who is at his core, much more does he love us who are his children? Don't miss this. Because if your image of the Father and your image of yourself in relationship with the Father are not what they should be, it will make all the difference in your prayer life. So how do you see God as your father? I want to encourage you over the next week to think about that. How do you see God as your father? Is he angry? Is he vindictive? Because you won't want to come to that father. Is he a a father who's going to walk out on you? You can't really trust him? Because you won't ask him for good things. If you don't trust, he's going to give them. We need to understand our father. Do you see your father as loving and tender and kind? Because if you do, you're going to come to him and say, Daddy, I need this. Help me. I need this thing or I need that. And you're going to come to him expecting, that he's going to do good for you. And that's just so important. But it's also important to see, how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as one whom God is angry at? That's just as important. Do you see yourself as one who is unloved or unlovable? Do you see yourself as one who is unheard, do you see yourself as one forgotten? Because if that's how you understand your relationship with the Father, that will also stop you from praying and going to him because you think he's not going to listen anyway. Or I'm not worthy of love. I'm not God could never love me. My Father could never really love me. I just want you to know, that is a lie from the pit of hell itself. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are beloved. Your name is written. It is engraved in His hand. You are beloved. He invites you into the throne room. He rejoices to see you. God rejoices. Your heavenly father rejoices over you. He invites you to come in. He stops everything to listen to you. have to see not only our understand our, our understanding of God and our understanding of who we are before God must be one of a loving father and a beloved child. Because if we don't, we won't pray. It'll hinder our prayers. It'll make our prayers unaffected. We won't go boldly before the throne as we're called. If this heavenly father, if this is the heavenly father, this good and gracious and kind father is the one we come to in prayer. Then let's look at now verse seven and eight. Because now we'll find out how to come to him in prayer. And he says in verse seven and eight, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock. And it will be given to you for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So these seem pretty straightforward. They seem like really easy enough directions. And the good news is they are. Ask, seek, knock. Yeah, good. In the back, so when I think of this, I I was thinking about this yesterday, and this Nike commercial comes to my head. Now, it's not a real Nike commercial. I'm just, in my head, I'm thinking, this would have been a great commercial. (laughs) In the background, now picture this. In the background, you hear the announcer saying, ask, and it will be given to you. While on the screen, there's a young teenage girl. She's at the store looking at this pair of Nikes, and then it fast-forwards over, and she gets this pair of Nikes in a box for her birthday, and she's like, yeah, I got it. So she goes, and she asks, and she receives, right? And then it pans over, and it's got this great music playing in the background, you know, that kind of inspirational music right? And then it pans over. She's a little older and you see her in the early morning and she's out running through these grass covered hills, you know, just doing her thing. She's happy. Life is grand, you know. And she is, and and in the background he's saying, seek and you will find. And she's running through the hills. And then, of course, remember, she's running through, and so they pan across and what do they end with? It's her Nikes on doing awesome. All right, and then we get to that last part, and then it pans over. It's a little while later in her life, and it says, knock, and it will be open to you. And the young woman runs across the finish line of the marathon. They get her up on the diocese, and she's getting her gold medal. Knock, and it will be open to you. I could just see it. And then at the end of it, what does it say? Just do it! You know, Nike, and the whoosh sign goes across. There you go. Now, there's a lot implied in that commercial, even as there is in the passage that we read. So let me take a couple of minutes to unpack some of the bigger ideas here. To do that, I want to look at, I know some of you are going to love this, and the other are going to want to throw things at me, but that's okay. I want to look at a passage from a grammar perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of you are smiling, and I know which ones of you are, because you always go, I love it when you do grammar. But... Because I want my kids to learn grammar. It's y- all you homeschooling moms. I love it. Anyway, <laughs> so let's take a minute and look at some, pa- some of the grammar in the passage. Um, and I wanted you to see all three of these passages, the ask, the seek, the knock, are all in present tense. They're all active. And they're all in the second person plural some of you are now saying, okay, so what? That's a great question, actually. So what that means, if you were to directly translate that, um, it would sound more like you all are to be asking continuously. You all are to be seeking continuously. You all Are to be knocking continuously because it's present it keeps being in the present it's always in the present run five minutes forward it's in the present still run a year forward it's still in the present be knocking be asking be seeking continuously that's pretty cool and who is this for it's for the sick and the needy right those are who should be asking No, it says you all, second person plural, doesn't give us a lot of room to to categorize that. All of you who are listening, be asking, be seeking, be knocking continuously. That's what the grammar tells me. So to to fulfill this command that Jesus has given us, our posture as Jesus' disciples and as children of our Heavenly Father, should be one that we are asking seeking knocking continuously all the time so all of you who are hearing this it applies to you be asking be seeking be knocking continuously it's sort of like a baseball game what happens At the beginning of the baseball game, the umpire walks out, and what does he say? Play ball. And then, of course, the opening pitch goes out, and everybody walks back to the dugout because we're done, right? Well, no, that's not what happens. It wasn't like play ball, oh, we played ball, now we are done playing ball. It's play ball until somebody tells you to stop. In this case, there's parameters set around the game. And if we get done the nine innings and somebody's won, somebody's lost, we're done. But you keep playing ball. We are to be asking and seeking and knocking until God tells us to stop, until we die or Christ returns. That's your options as to when to stop. Amen? Amen. Amen. Love class participation. All (laughs) right. So we're to ask and we're to seek and we're to knock. But let's dig a little deeper into what's behind some of those. So I hear a practical question from people quite regularly about what do I pray for? How do I ask? And I think that's a helpful question. That's a useful question. And it ties into what we spoke about earlier concerning our relationship with our Father. When we say, how do we ask? First, when I pray, or when you pray, we come to our Heavenly Father. Remember, the one who chose us before time, who loved us, who adopted us, who sent his Son to die in our place so we could spend eternity with him. He wants to be with us. He wants to do good for us. I am not coming to a father who is angry, who is disgruntled, or in any way stingy. No, he rejoices over me and calls me beloved. So with that in mind, when we read Hebrews 4.16, it gives us a picture of what this should look like. It says, let us then with confidence... Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How do we come before our heavenly father who loves us, who desires to be with us, who is kind and generous? How do we come before him? With confidence. Knowing that he wants to give us good things when we ask. Our heavenly father the great high king, the high king of everything. That's the king we come before. We come before his throne with confidence. And why do we do that? Because we are his beloved. That's why. We're his beloved. And we are his beloved because of what Christ did for us. We are his beloved. Now, I also hear a lot, I don't know what to pray for. Well, there's lots of things that you can pray for. A good place to start, go over to Matthew 9. Or, correction, Matthew 6, 9 through 13. It's just what we just finished re- We We prayed that today. The Lord's Prayer. How was that set up? Well, he says in this, Matthew says, or Jesus says in Matthew, Pray then like this. And he goes into the Lord's prayer, right? So we can start the same way. Start with praising God. Praise him because praise, our praise of God sets us in a right position. As God is worthy of glory, as our heavenly father, he is the giver of all gifts. He is the sustainer. He is the provider. And we are the ones who are coming and making a request. It kind of humbles us. That's what it does. It puts us in the position where we're going to ask. So praise God. That's how we start our prayers. Ask God to bring his kingdom to earth. You don't know what to ask for? You don't know how to pr- what to pray for? Ask God to bring his kingdom to earth. Ask God to do his will on earth. Ask God to do his will in your life. Ask God to meet your practical daily needs. I don't know what they are. Do you need a specific bill paid you don't have money for? Ask God to provide for that. Do you need food for tomorrow because you don't know where it's going to come from because there's not money to go purchase it? Ask God. That's what we pray for. Those are very specific things. Give us our daily bread. Ask God for things for anything that you're aware of, that you need. There's an expectation here that God will also, there's an expectation here that God expects you when you pray to offer forgiveness, to be forgiven, to accept that God has forgiven you, but to also offer forgiveness to others. And we should understand this, about prayer a lack of forgiveness can really stand in the way of our ability to pray so i want to encourage you when you're in prayer to say god check my heart if there are people that i'm holding something against help me to be one who forgives help me to forgive them and when god brings somebody to mind start working through forgiveness it is hard. There are people that literally I have had to forgive every day and I, for three and four years, and I hadn't seen them in three or four years. But every time I thought of this person, anger boiled up in me. And so every day I had to go back and go, God, please change my heart. I forgive them. Help me to forgive them. Change me. Forgiveness doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. It takes time. But I think God is glorified when we enter into that process. God is patient with us. He is good to us. And he allows us to walk through that process. But he does expect us to engage in it. And so I encourage you. As you're praying through things like that, when you're not sure what to pray for, ask God, who should I be forgiven? What do I need to forgive? Now, the last thing he says in that in the Lord's prayer there, this ask is ask God to keep you from temptation and to keep you from falling into the hands of the evil one. I think that's important for us to do. Think about that for just a second. If you're a believer, there is an enemy, and he wants to destroy you, period. He wants, desires, actively pursues your destruction. Seems to me a good thing to say, God, deliver me from the evil one. Amen? Don't hesitate to do that. So. I do want to offer you a bit of caution in the whole ask thing. It does say, uh, the passage says, ask and it will be given to you. But quite often, God gives me things in a way that I'm not in my head thinking that they're going to come to me. God doesn't work on our timetable and God doesn't always give things the way we intend to receive them or, or think we should get them. But that doesn't mean that God isn't giving us the good gift just because we didn't get it in the way we were expecting it. Does that make sense? It happens to me a lot. But I think that's a good thing because it helps me readjust my thinking all the time. Sometimes my opinion of just the right time doesn't seem to be God's opinion of just the right time. But that doesn't mean that God is not faithful in giving me the good gift. It just means it doesn't seem to be uh, coming in the way I really thought God should be doing things. Funny how I'm a finite creature thinking I should be able to tell God the timing of things in the world. But, you know, that's who I am, so that's what I get. And I can get frustrated, but we have to remember, God is the giver of good gifts. Build that on your faith. Let faith be the thing that is the core of what you're at your prayer so that when you pray and something doesn't come like you know, like you know, the guy rubbing the genie, you know, the genie pops out and says, oh, I want a hot dog, and a hot dog shows up. I mean, it's not, it's not like that all the time. Sometimes God gives us right away with the things we prayed for. You pray for something, you pray for healing, you're laying on hands, boom, the person's healed immediately. Other times, there's people who've been praying for healing for 40 years. It's God's timing, not ours. We'll, get to that, we'll come back to that idea. Um, but God is not slow as we think of slow. If you're trying to learn to pray, um, there's lots of ways you can do that. Go back to Matthew 5. Go through the Beatitudes. Pray through the Beatitudes. Um, you could go to Matthew 6 and 7. Pray through Matthew 6 and 7. Pray through the book of James. Go to Proverbs. Pray through the book of Proverbs. It's a great place to get started. You can open up just about anywhere in Proverbs. Look at the passage and turn it into a prayer. It's a great way to think about and learn how to pray. If you're curious about it, feel free. After the service, come see me. I'll walk you through a couple of passages so you kind of to get an idea of it. Um, All right, Next. Seek ye first the kingdom. So there are times when I still, even though I've, I can read scripture and I can say, here's my, my practical needs, when I really don't know how to pray about something. I don't find an easy application from scripture. I don't get an easy, like I'm not getting an answer to my prayer and, and I'm like, I'm not comfortable with the way I'm praying. So I think that's where our second piece comes in. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek, and you will find. Now, I have to admit, I've often, as you go through that, to ask, and you will receive, seek, you will find, knock, it will be given to you. The ask and the knock seem to make a lot of sense to me. They kind of flow. The seek, I'm just kind of like, where's the seek come into this thing? I get asking, I'm knocking, those kind of, they flow. But what's this seeking piece? It kind of had me stumped for a while. But much like we said earlier, this is a, a paragraph. It's a summary sort of thing looking back over 6 and 7. And so where do we see Jesus talking about seek? It's the seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added unto you. So when you're wondering how do I pray or what do I pray, The first place we should be going, and I think the best base for us to be in, is seeking the kingdom of God. Now, where does he place that? If you look at it, how does Matthew, how does Jesus place that? He's talking about anxiety. He's talking about not being anxious about what you are going to wear. Don't be anxious about the food you eat. Don't be anxious about your clothes, your job. I mean, any number of things. All the basic things that we can go and be anxious, be concerned about. He says, instead of focusing on those things, God already knows you need them. Focus on the kingdom of heaven, and then all those things will be added to you. Seek first, God's kingdom. So let me unpack that a little bit more. Because right above those statements about being anxious are statements about money and wealth. And he's talking about where are you building your personal kingdom? Where are you looking to get your your sense of security from? Are you building it up in possessions? Is that where your heart's lying? in the possessions you have and all the goods that you have and getting more of those so that you're safe, so that you have a good retirement, so that you have all the things about you so you don't have to worry about ever being in need? Or are you storing up those treasures for heaven? Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with you having a lot of goods, with you having a lot of wealth, But it is about perspective. If you have all those things and that's your security blanket, if that's what you're putting your trust in for the future, that's what he's going after. He says instead, your security and your trust needs to be over here, focused on heavenly things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Trust God. Put your faith in God as your provider, as the giver of good gifts. Seek him first. and The rest of that stuff, that gets added to you. But get your focus straight. Because that will impact how we pray. If we believe, truly believe, that God is the good provider, that he's going to take care of all these things, then I will be the one who stores up treasure in heaven. I'll be looking to do God's work. I'll be looking for kingdom work. And I'll be looking for God to be my supplier those things. And so that seeking first, understanding God's word. How do we do it? We spend time in God's word. We understand. we, We read it. We own it. We own the scriptures. We own the doctrines. We own the creeds. So that when we pray, we have a good set of parameters to work with. We know how to pray. So I You'll hear me a lot. If I pray, I try a lot to stay in Scripture when I pray. I'm kind of a simple-minded person. I don't always know what to pray, but I know if I pray something along God's line, uh, the, the words that God gave me, this is his book. Really, honest, it's his book. So I figure if I stay in here, if I pray along the same lines as what's in this book, I'm on target. And I know God wants to do what he says is in this book. So that's a good place to be. So I pray a lot using scripture as best I can. But it doesn't always fit for the circumstance that I'm in. So then understanding generally how does God's kingdom operate is the next thing I go to. Seek first that kingdom of God. Let it give you the parameters in your prayer. Last thing I want to talk about is knocking. If I could have the band come up. Here again, our passage is instructive. Knock and it will be open to you. This is our answer to how long we keep praying. This is how long we keep going before our Heavenly Father. And again, our answer, much like before, lies in that grammar. Be You all be knocking continuously. When do we stop? When do we stop knocking? Same as we said earlier. When God says stop, like he did with Paul, you're going to have this thorn in your side, and you're going to learn grace for it. Okay, God says stop. Or I die. I don't have to pray, I guess, after that. Or Christ returns, because then I'm in heaven, and it's all good, because I'm with God. So, that's, that's how we do this. When do we, how long do we keep knocking until it's done? Now, one last thing, I want to look at that. This passage, you might be going, well, hold on, you said six and seven, it's a summary. This passage is actually over in Luke. So, there is precedence for it. When he talks about knocking, Luke in chapter 11, has this same story of the Beatitudes, but in Luke, or not Beatitudes, but the the Lord's Prayer, and then this whole idea of ask, seek, knock. But in between the Lord's Prayer and the ask, seek, knock, he has a little statement in there, starting in verse 5. And he says, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go out to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him, and he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get out to give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up, and give his, he will not get up, <laughs> and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence. He will rise and give him whatever he needs. So you can imagine this. It's 2 a.m. at your house. Bam, 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 bam. Fred. 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 Hey, Fred. Fred, get up. I need something. Yeah. Keep knocking. Why? if not because he just woke me up and I'm angry, but because I can't believe anybody would that be just that impudent, that they would be that bold and brazen, that they would do that. (coughs) Bam, 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 bam. Fred, I need a loaf of bread. I'm like, really, it's 2 a.m., go to sleep. (coughs) Bam, bam, (laughs) bam, bam. Fred. All right, so if I would get up and give Fred the loaf of bread, And I probably would not be doing it lovingly or generously. Nonetheless, we have a loving and generous Father who loves to give us good gifts, who doesn't sleep, and no matter if it's 2 a.m., when you say, Dad, I need this, he's there. And he tells us, keep knocking. Don't give up. Never give up. Keep knocking. And let me tell you, I know that's hard for some of you. It's hard for me. There are some of you who I know have been praying for things for 30 and 40 years. There are some of you who have been praying for healing. There are some of you who have been praying for lost family members for years. Don't give up. I am a walking testimony. My mom prayed for me for 16 years. Well, I merrily tried down the path to hell. Not even tried, ran headlong. And I am grateful for that woman's prayers. Amen? Do not give up. Keep knocking. Bam, 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 bam. bread. Bam, 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 bam. God, where are you? Save him. Don't give up. Pray. Ask, seek, knock from a heavenly Father who loves you and calls you his beloved. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that you are a loving Father who desires for us to come before his throne and make our requests known. And thank you that you are the giver of good gifts. Help us to remember that.